Amen. Well, this morning we're going to continue in our series called In God We Trust. My dad actually brought a message last week called Beyond the Numbers. And what I want to do, I'm just going to be real upfront with you this morning. This is not going to be an easy message to digest, okay? This is not going to be one of those messages that you walk out of the door and you're skipping and you're saying, hey, that was a great message and I just love to hear, to hear that. This is probably going to sting a little bit. It's probably going to hurt a little bit, and I'm saying this because of the fact that even as I was preparing this, it was kind of pricking me, and God was doing some convicting of my own heart, and uh, it made me just evaluate some things. So what I want to talk about today is, can we really trust God with everything? Can we really trust God with everything? Because I don't know if you know this, but when you turn on the news or when you hear the next statistic about the oil field and everything going down and you look at gas prices and they're going down and, and guys losing their jobs and all these things, it just looks like pandemonium, doubt, chaos, anxiety. There's a lot of people that are just struggling right now. Um, I read a statistic. It was about two weeks ago. One of the job surveys that came out, they said since February of last year, since the oil field has started to go down, over 100,000 people have been laid off. Over 100,000 people have been laid off, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that there are many of you in here, maybe you have been victim to that. Maybe you've had a husband or a wife that was there, and they no longer have a job. And the natural bend of the human heart when this crisis and when this kind of comes down is what? What do we do? We doubt. We, we have anxiety. I'm, I, if I had to take a bet, I'm pretty sure that there's some of us in here that lay our head on the pillow at night and go, I can't stop thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow. How am I going to get out of this? How are we financially going to get out of this? Maybe you have a business. Maybe it's just personal finances. How am I going to put food on the table? What is going to happen? We begin to ask questions like, hey, if I get laid off, will God really take care of me? Like, I know it says that in Scripture, but I'm having a really hard time believing it. The truth is, this series is called In God We Trust, but I think in times like this, especially in this economy, um, our attitude many times is, In God We Doubt. Like, I, God, I, I know you're there. I know you take care of people. I just don't really think that it's true for me. So you ever find yourself having just a lot of faith for other people except for yourself? You're like, God, trust me. God's going to take care of you. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. And then when you find yourself in the situation, you're like, oh my God, what are we going to do? Listen, I alluded to it earlier, but God is not like the little engine that could screaming, I think I can, I think I can. Okay, he knows he can. He knows the situation that many of us are in right now. He knows the financial hardship. He knows the anxiety that you're dealing with. And really what I want to talk about today is what is the antidote to doubt and fear and anxiety? What is it? What is it that we can hold on to that can give us some kind of hope in this time of just uncertainty? And the truth is the antidote is trust. But the hard thing is trust is really hard to do. It's easy to trust God with some things. It's just not easy to trust God with everything, right? We can trust him with particular areas in our life, but when it comes to us giving him absolutely everything, it becomes really difficult. Now, let me give you an example. It's been about a six-year process now, um, but when my wife and I got married, about year one, we knew immediately that God was calling us to adopt a child. And um, I constantly, for six years, kept just pushing this thing off. 
And it wasn't because I had a hard time uh, hearing from God. I actually heard God very clearly. Um, The problem was I had a hard time trusting God. And and so let me give you an example. So I knew that Claire and I were supposed to go through with this. I knew that we were supposed to start this process, all this stuff. And I just doubted God. So I said, God, okay, I have all these kids already. How am I supposed to take care of another one? Well, what am I going to do? Okay, God, my my vehicle, it's not adequate enough. I need another seat. I I can't afford another vehicle. How am I going to do this? Okay, God, I don't know if I can be a good enough father to have another one. And then you have all the doubts and, man, I got a kid that I'm going to raise and I'm not really his parents, but I am really his parents and I got to explain this confusing thing to him and I don't want hurt and depression and all these things to set into him. And so all these doubts begin to roll into my mind. And it literally takes six years for God to lead me to this particular passage. Matthew six thirty one says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And then listen to this. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. I've read that passage a thousand times, like a thousand times. And about two weeks ago, Claire and I had been wrestling with the whole foster care adoption thing. God, are you really calling us to do this? And my wife, is, she's been sure since day one. If I would have gave her the green light, it, it would have been a for sure thing many years ago. And it wasn't until I finally came to the place where I said, okay, God, I don't know how this is going to work. This sounds a little crazy, adding another human being into our family. But I know that this is what you're calling me to do. And I, I had to come to the place where I realized the dream and the heart that God had given us would never come to fruition until we just radically trusted God with absolutely every single doubt. Everything. And, and I find that a lot of us are in that situation today. Maybe it's a different situation. Maybe you heard God clearly on something. Maybe you've heard over and over, like you know that God is going to take care of you. You're just having a hard time actually believing it for yourself. See, most of us are trusting God with certain things, particular things. We're just not comfortable trusting God with absolutely everything. So maybe you're comfortable to say, okay, God, I'll trust you with um, food. Uh, I'll trust you with uh, what school I need to send my kids to, or I'll trust you with this. But when it comes down to, man, I got a hundred bucks in my bank account and I'm supposed to pay this, I don't want to trust you with that. So I want to read a passage. If you have a Bible with me, turn to Proverbs chapter three. Um, Chapter three, we're going to camp out here for the majority of the message. And let me say this. This is, if you've grown up in church, this is a passage like you have seen on refrigerator magnets. If you grew up in little um, vacation Bible school or you went to Sunday school classes, this was on probably your teacher's coffee mug. This was a very popular verse. The problem is I don't think that many people actually understand the ramifications of how important this verse actually is. So we're going to read it. And we're going to kind of break it down and discover what God is really trying to tell us through this. So Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. With all your heart. Key word in that uh, verse. All. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. So this, this is what this simply means. Jesus doesn't want something from you. He wants everything from you. He doesn't want just some things. 
He doesn't want you to just trust him with just a few things. He says, all. I don't know if you know this. I looked it up. You know what the the Greek meaning of all means? All. (laughs) It means all. Everything. So even if you're some kind of biblical scholar and you're saying, well, Pastor Zach, the real meaning of that all is, it actually means all. Like everything. There's no out. There's no excuses that we can make. But here's the truth. It's hard to trust God with particular things, isn't it? It's hard to trust God when you have a child that's running wayward and, and doing things and you're scared for their life. It's hard as a mom to sleep in a bed at night not knowing where your son is, right? Man, it, it's hard to trust God with a marriage that just seems like it's bound to end in divorce. Isn't it? It's hard to trust God when you feel like you have done absolutely everything that you can. You pray, you give God absolutely everything, and it's still not working. It's hard, isn't it? Man, it's hard to trust God when you have like a bad health report. You thought you were supposed to live a long life, and maybe you're in your prime, and then all of a sudden you get a health report of, hey, you got cancer. Man, it's hard to be a mom or a dad and and find out that your kid has a disease, isn't it? It's hard to go, oh God, I don't know if I trust you in this. It's hard to trust God right now in today's economy, isn't it? When, when jobs are not sure, when, when, when jobs seem just so flippant, it seems like, man, you get hired on and then you get laid off just as soon as you got hired on. It's hard to trust God. But let's continue reading the verse. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then what, what's the second part of verse 5? Do not depend on your own understanding. See, this is key. What does that simply mean? It means this. Trust God more than you trust yourself. Trust God more than you trust yourself. If we're brutally honest with ourselves for a moment, I think many of us trust ourselves more than we trust God. Like God, like I know you're up there, I know you're taking care of me, but you know what, I haven't really seen you been working in a few months or a few weeks, so you know what, I think I'm going to grab the reins a little bit and I'm going to drive for a little while. And for some reason we always think that's a better idea. It never is. I don't know if you know this, but you shouldn't make decisions based on how you feel because how you feel is not really real. Uh, let, me, let me prove it to you. How many of you guys remember in middle school when you made decisions based off of how you feel? I don't know why, but when I was in middle school, I thought to solidify my coolness in junior high, I needed a butt cut. You guys remember that? You know, like part your hair right down the side. And to make it even cooler, I parted my hair right down the side and I shaved underneath. You know what I mean? And so like when you're in like the summer winds, it's just blowing. You got this bald head underneath and you got a butt cut straight down. And to make it even cooler, I used L.A. gel. Anybody remember L.A. gel? Slick the hair back with Jinko jeans. Anybody remember those? Like, I don't know why I thought that was cool. But in the moment, I was like, if I do this... I am going to be cool. And here's the deal. What we define as cool or what we define as what we need in that moment is going to change tomorrow. So if we're making decisions based on our own understanding and how we feel right now in the moment, how you feel two weeks from now is going to be totally different than how you felt two weeks ago. You see it yet again. Go back to high school Remember you see these teenage girls? I'm telling you, Dad, I am so in love with this guy. I'm telling you, we are going to get married. Two weeks later, 
He, I hate him. I cannot stand him. His face is so ugly. I can't believe I ever fell for him. Two weeks later, what happens? Oh my God, dad, I've just met this guy. And by this time, the dad's like, where's my gun so I can just go shoot him? Okay? Our feelings are not real. And a lot of times what we end up doing, instead of trusting God, instead of leaning on Jesus, we lean on our own understanding and we make decisions based off of our emotions. Based off of how we feel in the moment. Here's the thing. Many of us in here don't even understand why we make the decisions that we make. So, so let me give you an example. You ever been in an argument with your wife and something comes out and you're like, oh my God, why did I just say that? I don't even mean that, but I just said it. I don't mean it at all. Or, or have you ever been in a place where you're thinking thoughts and you're like, why is this even here? I don't even know why I'm thinking this. Here's the deal. We can trust God because he is a good father and all he wants is good for us. That's it. All he wants is good for us. And here's, here's a little side note. I think many of us have a hard time trusting God if we didn't grow up with a good father. If we didn't have a, a, a good, earthly, God-fearing, loving father, it's really hard for us to tr- trust God because what we do is we equate the love that our earthly dad had for us with how our heavenly father loves us. And let me tell you something. It's totally different totally different. See, the Bible says that, that our heavenly father is steadfast. He is patient. He is loving. He is kind. He is consistently going to pursue you even when you're at your worst. In your weakest moments, he loves you. Now, as an earthly father, what happens? Man, we, we make mistakes. We blow it. We get angry. We get frustrated. Maybe we don't talk for weeks. Whatever it is. So you've got to understand, regardless of how you were raised or how you were brought up or what your view of, Je- or of your dad was like, it is nothing with how the Heavenly Father views us or handles us. Here's the deal. If we actually knew how much Jesus actually loves us, we would always be ready to trust him with everything, even in our pleasures and our trials. If we genuinely knew him. So let me say this before we jump into some things. The primary reason that a lot of us have a hard time actually trusting Jesus, and this sounds very simplistic, but this is so true, is because we simply don't know him. We, we, we simply don't know him. You cannot trust somebody that you do not know. When, when I got married to my wife, it was this beginning of beginning to trust each other. Because when you get married, like, you think you know each other. You don't really know each other. Like, you do not really, you think, you're convinced that you know this woman or you know this man. And then you move in and you're like, who is he? Who is this person? And it begins this process of formulating trust. And we have to be convinced that our Father loves us. And to be convinced of that, we simply have to spend time with him. We simply have to pursue him. This is the whole thing that, that Claire and I have talked about for a year now. Of It's fighting to know Jesus on a daily basis, even when you don't feel like it. Even when you don't feel like it. See, even when it feels like 
God does not have your good in mind, you can rest assured that he will purposely allow your plans to fail so that you will become accustomed to trusting his ways over yours. He's got your good in mind. And sometimes the bad things that you feel that are coming your way, it's only God saying, hey, listen, I love you so much that I'm trying to let you know that my ways are so much better than yours. So let's continue reading the verse. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. And then here's the best part of it. Seek his will, and here's that word again, in all you do. And then listen to this. And he will show you which path to take. And he will show you which path to take. How many of you in here this morning going, you feel like you're on just this winding road? I don't know how to get there. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. God, what am I supposed to do? It's always because we have not learned how to trust him with everything. The road is so curved and it's so narrow and it's so winding all over the place because we don't trust him. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. And here's the deal. He may not show you immediately, but he will make it right eventually. So it's not always in your timing. It's not always like, God, now, I need you now. God knows what's best, and he knows exactly when he needs to intervene. We cannot lose trust and hope so quickly. Because I believe this, that right before, a lot of times, many people experience that breakthrough moment, they let go. They let go. How many of you guys in here, you ever been rock climbing? Anybody? You ever been rock climbing? One of the things, I used to do it all the time. One of the things with rock climbing is strengthening your fingers. Okay? Is getting that finger grip because as you get more technical with the sport, there's going to be certain grips that you can only grab with like two fingers. And that's it. Like you're going to pull your entire body weight up with a finger or two fingers. And so there's a lot of things that you've got to do with strengthening your hands and your arms and all that kind of stuff. But here's the thing about rock climbing that is so much different than actual repelling. See, when you're repelling, your, your weight is reliant on a rope. So if you fall, you're good, right? You're good. If you're rock climbing without a rope and you're not repelling or doing any of that stuff, you are totally reliant on how strong you are. On how much grip strength you have, on how long your biceps can hold. And as soon as you let go, you're falling. Like there's no cushion, there is no rope. And I find a lot of times, this is what happens to people in Christianity. Is a lot of times, people don't trust God. So instead of learning to repel with a rope on, they they figure, okay, I need to work up my fingers. I need to make myself strong. I need to pull myself together. I need to drive. I need to take the reins. I need to do this. I need to do that. And then we keep climbing and climbing. And maybe in your own strength for a while, you can pull yourself to a certain point. But eventually, you're going to run out of strength. And eventually, you're, you're, you're going to fall. And, and so here's the deal. This is what we're going to wrap the rest of the sermon around. This idea. If I do not trust him with all, I will eventually not trust him at all. If I don't trust Jesus with everything, then I'm eventually come to a place where I don't trust him with anything. With anything at all. So... I think this is what I want you to do this morning. 
We're going to cover three different areas, and I believe there's probably many, many, many more. But I've taken three that I think are probably the, the primary areas that people have a hard time actually trusting Jesus in. But here's what I want you to do. Before we dive into this, before we jump into this, I want you to ask yourself this question. What is the one area in my life that I have a difficult time trusting God with? What is that one area? Because everybody has something where we're just kind of, we're trying to hold on to it. We're trying to do it in our own strength. What is that one area in your life that you have a difficult time trusting Jesus with? So I want to cover three. Number one, I think that the number one uh, thing that most people have a hard time trusting Jesus with and giving him absolutely everything is financially. Financially. Money. People have a hard time trusting God with their money. What do I mean by this? Let's be honest. How many of you guys have ever just made a stupid financial decision? Come on, every, if you are not raising your hand, you're not alive. How many of you guys have ever made a stupid... How many of you guys drove that stupid financial decision to church? <laughs> how many of you guys did? They're like, oh my God, I'm put my hand down. I don't know about you, Every stupid financial decision that I have ever made is a result of me not trusting Jesus. Every stupid finance. Let me, let me give you an example. Um, year one of Claire and I's marriage, we were so poor, I, could, I barely had two dimes to rub together. Okay? Like, it was just, it was bad. My, my grocery budget per week, I think, was like $35. Okay? So we're like, we're so poor. And I remember for, for weeks just going, God, what are we going to do? I'm, I'm able to pay my bills, and then I have nothing left over. Absolutely nothing. And I remember I had this genius idea. God, I don't want to keep praying, and I don't want to keep trusting in you because it's hard. It's just difficult. There's got to be an easier way for me to take this into my own hands. I have a bright idea. Let me go get a credit card. Let me just, I'm going to put my trust in this credit card. And what do I do for, like, the first year of marriage, do so many stupid things with the credit, like, oh my, $5,000 on the credit, this is awesome. That was stupid. And, and listen, every dumb financial decision that I have ever made is not a result of me just making a stupid financial decision. It's a result of me not trusting Jesus with my money. I didn't actually believe that God was going to take care of us. So I make a foolish decision. And the truth is, the majority of us make foolish decisions financially because we don't trust God. Now, if you have your uh, Bible and you're in Proverbs chapter 3, we went through um, verse 5 and 6. If you skip down just a little bit to uh, verse 9, we're going to read a verse, uh, verse 9 through 10, and um, it's going to help us out a little bit. It says this, we're going to read it and we're going to break it down. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Okay? So, let's talk about it. What does it mean, honor the Lord with your wealth? I know many of you in here are going, uh, I'm out. <laughs> I'm not wealthy. That excludes me. I'm not wealthy. I don't need to honor the Lord with my wealth. But here's the deal. Wealth is not what we wish we had. Wealth is what God has put in your hands. It's not what, we, what you wish you had. 
It's what you, what you have right now. Let me, let me do a little test here. Show of hands. How many of you have ever gone to a coffee shop and bought like Christmas in a cup, those really sugary drinks, you know what I mean? Like that coffee, and it's like two or three, five dollars for a cup of coffee. Anybody ever done that? We've spent some money on coffee, right? Here's the deal. If you spent at least two dollars on a cup of coffee, you are richer than 60% of the world. I don't know if you know this, 60% of the world lives on $2 a day. And I'm not saying this to make you feel bad. I just want you to come to a reality of like, oh my God, I'm never going to drink that coffee again. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we are so much more wealthy than we actually think we are. Let me do another test. How many of you guys have ever gone to a restaurant, you eat your food and you're full and you still have food on the plate and then you throw it away? Anybody ever done that? All the time. All the time. Listen, poor people don't do that. <laughs> they just don't do that. First year of marriage, like I was saving every, like every school. Like, We're not going to eat tomorrow, babe. Save this. <laughs> poor people don't do that. We're so much wealthier than we actually think we are. So honor the Lord with your wealth. What you have in your hands. doesn't mean you have to be rich. It doesn't mean that you have to have just all this crazy amounts of money rolling in. What you have right now. And then what is, so it says, honor the Lord with your wealth. And then it says this, with the first fruits of all your crops. What does this mean? This simply means to give the first of your earnings to the house of God. It's talking about tithing. So in plain English is what it simply means. Every time you get a paycheck, you give it back. You give 10% back. You feel that tension in here? (laughs) Now, here's the deal. I was doing some studying this week, and there's always this argument when we bring up tithing. People say, you know what, it's an Old Testament law. It doesn't apply. We don't have to do it anymore. There's there's a few problems with this argument, okay? First problem is um, adultery and do not murder is also in the Old Testament. You want to throw that one out too? I think we, we all want that one, right? Let's keep that one in there. The, the second problem is tithing is actually not an Old Testament law. If you uh, skip down and if you want to do some research on your own, you can do it later on. But in Genesis 14, this is when tithing was actually established. 2,500 years before the law was ever even written. 2,500 years before the law was ever even written. So tithing is not about the Old Testament law. It's just simply a biblical principle. Well, we did it. We covered it in, I think, about six, seven months ago. We did a series called Generosity. And uh, I actually agree. I subscribe to the fact that Jesus actually, um, according to the Old Testament, you know, you say we have to give 10%. I don't necessarily believe in that. I think it's a good standard to have. But if you want to make that argument, according to the New Testament, we're actually supposed to give everything. Everything. Absolutely everything. And so here's the deal with that. If you do not trust God with your money, you're going to be spiritually stuck. You're going to be stuck. And here's why. Because you're not trusting God with everything. Look, he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. So we can look at all these areas of our lives and say, God, I'm going to trust you with this, I'm going to trust you with that, I'm going to trust you with this, but I'm not going to trust you with my money. Let's move on. You guys, tension's still here, right? I I promise you, I'm going to get to another point in a second. All right, so honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and then what does it say? 
then your barns will be filled. Your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. What does this mean? This is a promise that if you continue to give to God what he already owns, that he's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of you. I hear this all the time as a pastor. Um, Pastor Zach, listen, I can't, I will give when I make more. No, you won't. If you cannot steward what you have right now, what makes you think that you'll do it when you have more? You just won't. We won't. Because here's the deal. When we make more, what do we do? We adjust. We, we adjust our lifestyle. We don't give. We're not thinking about giving. It's a principle that we should live by. And here's the deal. I, I have to say this every time we talk about money. I don't want your money. I don't. Uh, Claire and I have tried to do everything that we possibly could do, and this church has tried to do everything that we possibly could do to to earn and gain your trust. I've said it before, we have this open-door policy with finances. If you want to know something, how money is used, spent, all that kind of stuff, we'll tell you. Also, everything that we ask our people to do, we do it. So not only do we ask people, if you you call this your church to give 10% here, we actually do this as a church. Every single week, we give whatever comes in, we give 10% of it away. It goes back to the community of Crowley, so that's helping people with benevolence, people that are out of work right now. I can't tell you how many uh, phone calls I get a week of people that are just struggling financially. Like, Pastor Zach, I'm, I can't pay my light bill this week. I don't have food on the table. What, am, what do I do? So we give 10% away to be able to help people like that. But here's the deal. If you say, God, you know what, I've been coming here for a few weeks, or maybe this is your first time, or whatever it is, this is my church. This is my home. I'm a mem- I've gone through next, I've done all that kind of stuff. This is where I feel like I need to be. Then you're called to give here. And listen, I know that we've got people that um, maybe you give some other places, and I'm giving to this, and I'm giving to that. Let me give you a little analogy. Do you go to McDonald's and pick up your food and go pay at Burger King? No, you don't. And and so here's the deal. If God has called us to be here, and listen, I know that this is a topic that we don't like to talk about in church. And the reason that it gets so tense at times is because, honestly, it really is a heart issue. Listen, we don't want your money. God wants your heart. And he wants you to trust him with absolutely everything. And that means our money. That means our money. The first thing that Claire and I do when we get a paycheck is we give it away to God. 10% goes out to Jesus. And honestly, it's not because I'm commanded to. It's not because even the Bible tells me to. It's because I remember about 15 years ago, the place I was at in my life. Man, just a confused kid. Grown up in a pastor's home, but just like so confused in my relationship with Jesus. I was so ritualistic about certain things. And I remember that one particular day, it was just like God just opened my eyes with some things. And I made a commitment that day. I'm like, God, you have, I cannot believe after everything that I have done and the thoughts that I have I've, I've thought about and the things that I have done, that you would still love me and accept me. So I give back. To you. That's the reason I give. So number one, the first thing that we have a hard time trusting God is in our finances. Number two, we have a hard time trusting God with our relationships. 
We have a hard time trusting God with our relationships. We've got um, married people that want to be single. <laughs> We've got singles that want to be married. We've got um, married people right now that they're contemplating divorce and going, God, I don't fix him. <laughs> fix him. Because I don't know if I can trust him anymore. It's just a difficult thing that people are going through. Um, about nine months ago, Claire and I were getting ready. We had put our house for sale in Jennings, and we were trying to make preparations to move here in Crowley. And we found this house, and uh, it seemed like everything would just be awesome and amazing about this house. It was a big house. It was nice. It was newly remodeled, all this stuff. And so um, I put an offer on it. And it was a contingency deal. I said, hey, let's buy this house and uh, contingent on our house actually selling. And so um, the, the market was really slow and Jennings and all this stuff was going on. And uh, we, my wife and I started crunching numbers realizing, oh my gosh, this house is going to be a whole lot more expensive than we thought it was. We start, it's in a flood zone. This is how much it's going to cost. This is how much of this is going to cost. This is how much the note's going to be. And we basically came to the realization of like, we could afford it, but we'd have to look at our kids and say, hey, listen, guys, there's seven days in the week. We're only going to eat five. Okay, like that's just pretty much how it was. And um, so my wife comes to me one day and she says, Zach, listen. She's like, we got to get out of this deal. Like, we cannot buy this house. And I'm on the side. I'm going, baby, listen, we're going to buy this house. Like, I really don't care. We're going we're gonna to work it out. We're going to figure it out. We've already made an offer on this house. It's a contingency deal. I like this house. I want this house. And she like, graciously would come to me, baby, we cannot buy this house. Like, we're not going to be able to make it. And so for about a few weeks, it was kind of like this argument that kind of went uh, between us. We're going to buy this house. And I'm like, we are buying this house, babe. Like, stop asking me about it. We are buying this house. And so after counseling, true story, um, we sit down with somebody else. And uh, I basically have another guy look at me and he says, you are dumb if you buy this house. You are dumb if you buy this house. And I, my reaction wanted to be like, you are dumb for talking to me. Like, d- I want to buy this house. And here's the truth. I was so concerned about my own interests, my own selfishness took over, and it was what I wanted that I was about to make a stupid decision for my entire family. And then, true story, I wake up one morning, and uh, I'm sitting there, and I'm going, okay, God, what are we going to do? It was right after I'd had this conversation with this guy, and I, my pri- I still did not want to break my pride. I'm like, oh, God, I'm holding on to this. I'm buying this house. And uh, I wake up one morning, and I'm praying. And true story, I flip over to Philippians 2, and this is what I read. Do not be selfish. Try not to impress others. And then it says this, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. And I'm like, really, God? <laughs> And then he continues, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others, too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. I would say in that moment, God humbled me. And I have to come to my wife with my head down. We're not going to buy that house. (laughs) What? (laughs) I'm not going to get out of the house. (laughs) And, And here's what it came down to. I didn't trust my wife. I didn't trust that she could actually hear from God. My prayer was like, God, she's not lining up with my will. Fix her. (laughs) Fix Claire. 
It's like, that's almost what my prayers were. Like, God, fix her. Father, forgive her, for she knows not what she does in this situation. And the truth is, it's hard to trust Jesus when you're solely focused on yourself. It's hard to trust Jesus for a marriage that may be failing, and all you're doing is saying, God, fix them. Without asking the question, God, what are the areas in my life that I need to fix? Here's the deal. You want to fix your spouse? Allow God to fix you first. Allow God to work on you first. See, now this is hard, though, because it offers an element of trust, right? Okay, God, you work on me. Do what only you can do in me, and then I'm going to trust you with my spouse. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that you're going to work. I'm going to trust that you're going to convict them. Here's the deal. We like to play as husbands or wives many times. We like to play the job of the Holy Spirit. Like you, you literally wake up some mornings going, God, I don't really think that they're hearing you. So let me remind them. <laughs> let me be the Holy Spirit for a moment and whisper in their ear. Fix yourself. <laughs> like. Now, let's be honest for a moment. Sometimes it feels like no matter, even if you have put your trust in God, it's just not going to work, right? So, so maybe you've been going, listen, Pastor Zach, time out. That's great. I've been trusting God for 15 years for my husband, and he's still not coming around. They're like, there's still nothing going on. What's the deal? Here's the deal. Are you willing to trust what God says over what you feel? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. And if we do this, then he'll show us the right path. So we, we spend a lot of time um, here uh, addressing married couples. And uh, I'm very well aware that there's also people in here that are single. Um, that aren't married and maybe one day they aspire to be married. Um, if you're single, would you slip your hand up and I'll help you. And if you see another girl or guy in here, you can just connect with them after service. I'm kidding. Don't do that. But, but here's the deal. Ladies, I want to help you out for a moment. Stay far away from men that are filled with, the desi- with desire. Stay far away from men that are filled with desire. And what do I mean by that? You need a man that's going to love you. Because a man that actually loves you is going to commit to you. He's going to commit to you. Here's the deal. We, we throw the word out like love like it's just nothing. Like we love ice cream, right? Like you don't really love ice cream. You desire ice cream. You really want that ice cream. If he really loves you, then he'll do what Philippians 2, 3 through 5, the one I just read. He'll honor the Lord. He's not going to be selfish. He's not going to try to impress others. He's going to be humble. He's not going to think about others. He's going to think about you. He's going to have the same mindset. He's going to have the same attitude as Jesus. Here's the deal. Here's how you know if it's desire or love, ladies. If every moment he's just looking for an opportunity to get your clothes off, it's not love. That is desire. Okay, love says this, I love you, and I'm going to put a ring on your finger, and I'm going to commit to you for my lifetime. 
And listen, I can't tell you how many people I've sat down with, and this is their excuse. Well, the reason we live together is because, Pastor Jack, you don't understand. I mean, we both barely make enough, and so financially just made. So what you're telling me is um, because you're struggling financially, it gives you a reason to sin. No. What that guy is saying is, I don't really want to commit to you. I just want to sleep with you. So, so here's the deal, ladies. You are much better than an ice cream cone, <laughs> okay? Your purity and your integrity. Listen, when I had my daughter, Amelia, and I held her for the first time, I never thought I could kill a man in my life. And I looked at her face, and I'm like, oh, my God. I will kill someone. I will kill any, like the doctor walked in. I was like, I will kill you. I don't know why. But, but here's the deal. Don't follow men that just desire things. Ladies, find a man that will love you and commit to you. Is going to treat you like Jesus. Is going to love you. Is going to put down his own interests to serve you. Because here's the thing. You don't need a boy trying to be your husband. You need a man that's going to provide for you, that's going to protect you, that's going to put food on the table, that's going to lead you spiritually. That when you're battling with things emotionally, can look at you and say, hey, listen, I don't know what's going on. We're going to pray about this. We're going to seek God. And we're going to fight through this together. I've said this before. Don't fall. I love that a pastor says this all the time. He says, don't fall for men that shave. Boys that can shave. They, they grow a beard. I'm a man. Uh, I've got boots. I've got a truck. You know, I live in South Louisiana, and, and I'm digging dirt. And you still eat Hot Pockets and sleep on your mom's couch. <laughs> Don't do that. Listen, you need a man that's going to love you. Because here's the deal. Desire will cause you to manipulate people. And love will cause you to commit to people. We've got to learn to trust God with our relationships. And I know sometimes you think that, man, I don't have any other way but to get into this relationship. And you're wrestling with insecurity or, or whatever it may be. Number three, we have a hard time trusting God spiritually. Spiritually. So the reason that people have a trusting problem with God overall is because they have a spiritual problem. So in order to help me explain this, let's do a quick survey. How many of you guys have ever broke the rules? Any of like just rule breakers in here? Like your natural bend is just to break the rule. I was the kid and my, my mom's like, here's the line, son. I'm like, well, how far can I go? I'm like, how far can I step over it? Here's the line. How many of you guys, let's do this. How many of you guys have ever gone over the speed limit? How many cops in here do we have? <laughs> Have you guys ever gone, okay, how about this? How many of you guys have ever cheated on a test? Look how many cheaters we have in here. How, how many, how about this? How many of you guys have ever stolen something? Put your wallet away right now. How many have ever stolen something? How many of you have ever broke the rules? You've pushed the limits, you've tested it. It's one of the things my wife has, um, it's kind of been this ongoing argument in our marriage. I've always been like, well, danger is right here. Well, I'm going to step right on it. (laughs) We like to push. We like to test. We like to test the limits. We like to push the rules. But here's the thing. 
at the end of the day, I think the reason that we end up breaking the rules is because we have a trust problem. A lot of us just, we break the rules because we don't actually believe that when Jesus saved us, he actually meant what he said he meant. We break the rules many times because we say, man, God, I, I got this past that I'm struggling with. Like, I know this is what you've called me to do. I know this is what purity looks like. I know this is what commitment looks like. I know that you've died for me. I know that you've saved me, but I need to push the limits because I just don't really trust that you've absolutely forgiven me. Like, we have a hard time. Like, that God actually forgives us, that he actually loves us. Ephesians 2, you don't have to turn there, it'll be on the screen. Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 9. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God, and salvation is not a reward. Listen to this. For the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Listen, even if when I was asking this, the silly little questions, how many broke the rules, and you're the one person sitting there like, never speed, never cheated, never stolen anything. Like, I'm so good. Well, you're prideful. <laughs> That's what you deal with. Here's the deal. What I love about this scripture is simply this. It says right here, you cannot take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for what? The good things that you've done. So it's not even about how good you are. It's not even about how much you can clean yourself up. Okay, look at me now, God. I'm not breaking the rules. I haven't done anything. I'm so clean. I had a good week, God. Are you going to love me better this week? I feel better about myself because I didn't break the rules this week. But he says, the reward of salvation is not for the good things that you have done. God didn't save you because you kept all the rules. He saved you because he was good. He saved you because he loved you. He saved you because whatever past shame, guilt thing that you deal with, he saved you so that he could remove that from you. See, here's the truth. If we learn to put our trust and our hope in God, this is something that we're going to discover. That God wants better for us than we could ever want for ourselves. He wants better for us than we ever could want for ourselves. Here's the deal. Stop trying to take the reins from God because he's a lot better driver than you are. He's just a lot better at it. And listen, if we can learn to trust God with absolutely everything, that doubt, that fear, that anxiety, all those things that you're wrestling with, trust is the antidote to anxiety. Trust is the antidote to doubt. See, here's the deal, as we bring this to a close. Some of you need to trust Jesus with your life. Some of you, you came in here this morning and you're saying, Pastor Zach, look, that's all great. And maybe you resonated with the, the reason I don't trust God right now is because like, I just don't know him. I've never encountered him. I've never experienced Jesus. And we want to give you an opportunity to know Jesus this morning. And then there's maybe other people in here that say, you know what? I know who Jesus is. I just don't trust him with my past. I just don't. Uh, Man, I've done some things that I'm still guilty about. And it was like five years ago. I've still got this heaping load of just shame and guilt that I don't know how to get off of my back. 
But here's the deal. As I said earlier, if you do not trust Jesus with everything, you will eventually not trust him with anything. Anything. So, what is the one thing in your life that you have a hard time trusting Jesus with? Is it relationships? Is it spiritually? Is it your money? And is it with your kids? Is it with your marriage? Is it with your past? What is it? Can we do this real quick? I want to just every head bowed, every eye closed in here. I want to just give you a moment just to reflect on that. God, what is the one thing? What is the one thing that I'm not trusting you with this morning? What is it? I genuinely believe this. If you're willing, and you're at a place this morning where you say, God, okay, I want to trust you with everything. I believe God will meet you exactly where you're at. I believe that he, he will give you the peace that you're looking for. As I said earlier, it may not be immediate, but he will make your path straight. So if you're in here this morning and you say, Pastor Zach, look, I don't know Jesus. I just don't know him. I'm wrestling. I need to trust him with my life this morning. Will you just slip your hand up real quick? Okay, okay. A few of you, okay. Now, if you're in here this morning and you say, Pastor Zach, listen, I know Jesus. But there's just, man, there's some areas in my life that I'm just not trusting him with. There's some things that I'm wrestling with, whether it's finances, whether it's uh, relate, whatever it is. I'm just not, if that's you this morning, will you just simply slip your hand up? Okay, many of you. Many of you. I just want to pray for you. Father, right now I pray for the ones, God, that don't know you. God, that are far away from you. God, maybe they're wrestling with a a past. Maybe they're wrestling with shame and guilt about decisions that they wish they would have never made. And God, maybe they came here this morning just as a last-ditch effort to say, all right, God, just have your way. God, I pray that this morning that they would make a decision to follow you with absolutely everything. God, it would not just be this emotional, flippant decision, but God, it would be a decision today to follow you everything. God, that it would be a complete 180. God, I pray for the ones, God, that are struggling, God, just trusting you with a particular area in their life, whether it's money, whether it's relationships, whether it's spiritually, whether it's with their kids, whether it's with their marriage, whatever it is. God, I pray that you would give them the boldness and the courage and ultimately to trust. God, to look to you and say, God, I want to give you everything because your plans and your desires are much better than my own. Much better than I could ever dream of for myself. In Jesus' name.